Hey everybody, this is Matt, and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We are in our Unshakable series, and in life, you remember certain things. Memorial events that stick in your head your whole life. And I remember one morning, there was an, uh, a ride to school that I'll never forget. I was in my freshman year at University of Delaware. I was off to school, and I didn't notice the police car parked in front of my house. And so I pulled out on my motorcycle... And there's a stop sign right there, and I don't completely stop. And then I, I turn left, and apparently the police officer starts to follow me, but I don't see him. And then I get up to the next intersection. There's a stop sign there, and I turn onto the main road. I didn't completely stop there while the cop has its lights on following me, and I run that stop sign as well. I then go forward, and the light turns yellow. I gun it. I wasn't really speeding at the time, but probably by the time I was done, I was going a little fast, maybe 5 to 10 over. And it might have been red when I went through it with the cop car facing behind me. And then I'm on the road, and I'm going down, and I'm going the speed limit with the cop with its lights on behind me the whole time. About a mile down the road, I hear through my helmet. Now, I didn't hear it before. Because I was listening to a Walkman. I had headphones in my helmet, in this full face helmet. And I was blaring, it was either Nirvana, Pearl Jam, or Red Hot Chili Peppers, one of the three. And I heard that and I went, oh no. So when I, so the cop came over, I took off my helmet. When I took off the helmet, the earbuds went right into the helmet and I quickly stowed the Walkman in there as well. So you couldn't see it. And didn't there? There was no such thing as earbuds thirty years ago. I put that down and I said, "Can I help you, officer?" And he was like, "Do you know what you've been doing?" I was like, "I didn't think I did anything." And he goes, "What do you mean?" He was, I was like, "I only live like a mile from you." He goes, "Oh, I know exactly where you live. I was parked across the street and I've been following you ever since." I was like, "Oh, what did I do?" I don't think I did anything. And then he listed all the things that I said, and I was like, "Oh." So he goes, license, proof of reg, you know, insurance. And I, I started taking out all my stuff and I couldn't find my insurance. And finally, I just gave my license. I was like, I have insurance. I don't know where the card is. It must have fallen out of the back because I had expired insurances, but they were not like recently expired. It was like, like five months earlier. And he was just like, sh- shook his head and he went back to the vehicle. And I just... At that point, I was like, I'm in deep trouble. And I was like, God, have mercy on me. I can't get a ticket. You know, I I just can't deal with this. Please just somehow give me mercy. And you know what? He came back. the, The cop wrote me a ticket for lack of insurance. And he told me, he goes, make a complete stop. And when the light's yellow, don't try to gun it. And I was like, okay, sorry. And he, and I was like, whoo. And I just showed up to the Gorda house like a week later with the proof of insurance. And that was it. Mercy. Ooh. Wow. When you have a major failure or you just mess up big time in life, what do you do? You know, I just hope that, you know, God has mercy because that's what happened that one time. Last week, Nebuchadnezzar was tested with the test of success and he failed it spectacularly because he took credit for all what God did in his life. But eventually... God will make him lose everything and he becomes a savage roaming the desert insane. But then God had mercy on Nebuchadnezzar. And after a period of humiliation, whether it's two and a half years or a couple of years or seven years, we don't know the exact amount of time. We do know it was significant, but God restored his mind. And I want you to see how 
the steps that Nebuchadnezzar took back his sanity. This is the road to recovery. And see, Nebuchadnezzar, he did three things. And when you have a major failure in your life, when you majorly mess up, you need to do these three things. So if you fail the test of success, what are you to do? You look up, you wake up, and you speak up. So first, when you have a major failure, you, number one, look up to God. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, it's interesting, it's the Bible, but it's Nebuchadnezzar's own words. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Literally, it says in the Hebrew, he lifted his eyes up to heaven. And, you know, when we majorly mess up, we sometimes don't want to take this step. We're in a heap of trouble, but we don't look up to God and say, help. First thing what we like to do is we like to blame others. And you know what? It solves nothing. You know, I love football. And one of the craziest events happened last Thursday night when the Dolphins were playing Cincinnati and Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa suffered a massive concussion. Even his hands locked up in an awkward position, showing the severity of the issue. And the week before it, actually, I shouldn't say a week. It was only four days because this was Thursday night and he played Sunday. Four days previous, he took a major hit to the head and he had five signs of a concussion at that time. But somehow, miraculously, he made it back into the game. The outcry was so loud that finally the Players Association had to issue an investigation into it to see if the protocols, I said that in quotes, for the first injury were handled. But they still allowed him to play a game four days later, even though the investigation was ongoing, because if it fails the investigation, then there's no way anyone should play after four days. But the NFLPA is full of hypocrisy, and they don't care about that. So with every armchair doctor seeing how obvious his first head injury was, because he had literally five signs. I mean, it was so ridiculously obvious. So what did they do? Well, they fired the independent doctor who cleared him. Oh, he didn't follow protocols. Essentially trying to say, it's not our fault. We love our players. The doctor's to blame. You know, the doctor that you hired, the doctor that has to report to you, the doctor that gets paid by you, the doctor that enjoys this cushy gig only at your convenience. Essentially, the doctor's to blame. The NFL owner's It's not our fault. It's all the doctor's fault. So we got rid of them. You know, they placed the blame. But you know what? They never fixed the issue. And poor Tua, I'm glad he's okay. He made it through the first couple days. But we won't know for years how devastating an injury like this was. As former players who have had head injuries from concussions struggle to perform daily tasks and others can't even live and some even take their lives. While the NFL and the Players Association who are in deep trouble right now, will try to skate because they'll blame the poor doctor who is incentivized to lie. Blaming others will never help the issue. Maybe it'll help those people skate, but it won't help the issue. It won't help Tua. It won't help the guy last night who got a concussion, Hines, on the Colts. But that's what happens. We blame nothing's good. See, we can be in a mess, and you may be in a mess right now, and it's going the wrong way. But you're looking at everybody else, everybody else trying to solve it. You're blaming other people. It doesn't go anywhere. Blaming doesn't help or solve the issue. As we said, we should learn from the experience or failures of others. Life is too short. The best advice I ever got for marriage was about leading. 
And I was told, you know what? No argument is 100%. You're never 100% right in anything in life. Almost never. So you know what? Own up to the 0.1 or 0.001 or 0.10,001, whatever that percentage is of fault, own up to it. And so that's what I do in my marriage. Whenever something goes wrong, it's my fault. I say, I'm sorry first. And it opens up the floodgates because I say, hey, you know what? I'm sure I did something wrong here. I may not fully understand what I did wrong, but I know I did because we're fighting and that usually it takes two <laughs> to fight. I'm sure I might have egged you on. I might have done something. And you know what? It's never completely one person's fault. And because of that, our arguments and stuff like that, it's been pretty easy because we don't have our hackles up. We're, we're not fighting each other. We're trying to find a solution. So when you blame others, it doesn't help. Stop looking to others to solve it. That's what paralyzes our government. Well, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. You know what? It doesn't matter whose fault it is. You're the government. You fix it. But you know what they do? All they do is place blame. They don't fix it. They don't. I, I honestly think that they don't care. Because as long as they remain in power, and that's what our government does. They remain in power while we're the suckers who put them there. And if you are so gung-ho for any political party, lose the Kool-Aid goggles, okay? Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Take off your goggles and realize that people just want power because all we do is blame and we do everything we can to stay in power. We don't fix the issue. We fix the blame. It's all this person's fault. It's all this person's fault. Whatever you're in a mess, you need to look up to God. Stop looking at each other. Get your eyes onto heaven. Refocus on God. Not looking at anything and everybody else. By the way, sometime God has to lay you flat on your back before he gets you to look up. And I hope he doesn't have to do that to you. So just do it now. Look up to God and say, you know what, God? I don't know the answer, but I need help. You can't start to deal with the messes in your life unless you first look up to God and stop blaming others. Second, wake up to God's greatness and start worshiping. See, worship just means to focus on God. So when you focus on God's greatness, it's called worship. When you focus on yourself, that's pride, <laughs> selfishness. So get yourself off of, focus off of you, put it onto God. So how do you do that? Start worshiping. If in the past you used to read your Bible a little bit and pray, and you've kind of forgotten all about that, you've forgotten your quiet time, you need to go back to that. Do it with regularity. Develop that habit. Try real hard for three weeks because then it'll be a habit after three weeks. You know, in good times, we start backing off. We don't need to go to church. We don't need to spend time in a small group. We don't need to pray as much. We got we got this money. Let's go on this vacation or buy a cabin or RV and we'll go away on the weekends. And then you forget all about church and you forget all about God and because your life is successful. So you know, that's what we do. Or maybe I'm doing all right. Maybe I'll garden around the house. You know, I, I haven't had any time this week for myself, so I'm just going to stay home and not do anything. I mean, it's one thing to worship God in your house, like at, in front of a, maybe a, a virtual service versus, you know what, I'm just going to garden. <laughs> no, that's you got a problem there. Is there anything really more important than worshiping God and hearing from him on a regular basis? And if you know something that will help your life more than going to worship, 
tell me because I would like to do it because maybe I'm missing something because I've often wondered what if that was the week that God was going to speak to me if I wasn't there and turn the direction of my life and build the career that I would have never imagined. If I didn't go that week, I missed it. I don't want to miss what God says to me. Daniel 4.34 says, Then I praised the Most High. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is the guy who made this statue, who didn't listen, who put it off, who procrastinated. He praised God because he realized his mess. See, every time things are going in your life, this is as much as as test as the bad times, all the delays and difficulties and the suffering and the pain, we get that. And when everything's going good in your life, that's when it gets hard because we feel like we're okay. But when everything's going bad, that's when we, we struck, we say, Oh God, I need help. But you know what? We probably need more help when things are going okay, because we are so focused on ourselves and we look at how cool we are and we forget to look at how amazing God is. We wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for God. A thousand years before this event in Daniel, Moses said the same thing to the Jews who were coming out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And God had promised for generations, I'm going to save you. I'm going to remove you. I'm going to take you away from Egypt. I'm going to get you out of this slavery. I'm going to bring you to a land of your own. It's called the promised land. It's a cool place. They spent 40 years walking across the desert where God tests them many times. And Moses is actually more afraid of the success in the promised land than he is in the slavery in Egypt. He's worried because he says, I'm afraid you guys are going to stop depending on God when things are going good. And when you were in the gravy years of your life. So he gives them this warning before they go into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 20. Moses writes, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? Now remember, he's talking to the Jews who have been slaves and then freed. To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Sometimes God humbles you by letting you go hungry, hungry for a relationship you don't have, hungry for a need or a job that you don't have. God lets you go hungry in order to humble you and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, your clothes did not wear out. That's amazing. And if I wear the same clothes for, for a week, it wears out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years, man, my feet swell after like three days of walking around. <laughs> no. Verse 5, know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Now, he says, here comes, here comes the test of success. A land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Here's your first line of defense against falling into ego and, and arrogance is the attitude of gratitude. The more grateful you are, the more humble you will be. The more prideful you are, the less grateful you'll be. So he says, praise God. Remember, you got two choices. When things are going good in your life, praise God or be proud of yourself. He says, when you're full and satisfied, be grateful. 
But then in the next verse, he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Oh, it's so easy to forget God when things are going good. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Oh, we use that excuse, don't we? I did it in my strength. But verse 18 says God gives us the ability. Verse 19, if you ever forget the word your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so will you will be destroyed for not obeying the word your God. I don't know of any other passage in the Bible that's needed by America than that one. Our nation has forgotten God. Our country as we know it began with, you know, the USA, I would say, began with pilgrims who came to this place where they could freely worship God. Success is dangerous. We forget our history. We forget what God did when we have nothing but success. Let me put this into perspective for you. Your greatest test in life may not be when you lose your job, but when you get a new one. And all of a sudden, you're so involved in God that you forget all about. You're so involved, you forget everything about God. Your greatest spiritual test in life may not be when you go into debt, but when you get that raise and when you get out of debt and you go out and buy some stuff that you don't really need that <laughs> keeps you from thinking about God because you're so busy. So you get a raise. Let me just tell you, here's what you do. When God blesses your, your life, welcome it. Thank him for it. Celebrate God's blessing. Celebrate the success. Then you get on your knees and say, God, I realize I, I wouldn't have anything if it weren't for you. I could have been born anywhere in the world. I could have been born in Egypt or Pakistan or Afghanistan or Myanmar or Ukraine and be at war right now. I could be a homeless kid on the street. I didn't choose when and where I was born. I didn't choose my natural giftedness. I didn't choose my talents. I didn't choose the freedoms I have to excel. And it all comes from you. So humble yourself because success will go right to your head. And the so-called success really is from God. But when we take credit for it and get all prideful, we will fall. So if you're in a mess or you're at the height of success, if you're at the height, man, you need to get on your knees right now and say, thank you, God, for what you've done for me and start to worship him who love you more than you know by sending his son to die for you. So take today and thank him for his mercy and goodness. And if you are in the midst of a mess, look up like Nebuchadnezzar and then worship him. Next pod, we're going to look at the third thing you need to do when you have a major failure or if you fail the test of success. Because I ran out of time today. Well, God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.